Good morning. As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 139, should be right in the middle. Let it fall open. You'll probably be close to Psalm 139. Wasn't that an awesome song by Cindy? Um, Wow. And the reality is, God does want to change the world to be His kingdom. And as I had the privilege of telling the high schoolers this week at at a uh, um, chapel, that God wants to change the world and He wants to use you and me to do it. Isn't that exciting news? Our world is changing. It's a historic weekend. It's an historic week. Our world is changing. And we are the primary agents He wants to use. So may God change us. Change us to be more like Jesus. So that we truly can offer something to this world. So we truly can change our church, change our lives, change the world for Jesus. Sounds like a great challenge to me. And I know as she was singing, I was saying, Lord, change me. Break me so the light of Christ can shine clearly. This holiday weekend is an important weekend for all Americans. It is. Not just because we have a day off tomorrow. And by the way, I get ripped off on days off on Monday. It's my day off anyway. So welcome to my day off. But it's a whole lot more important than we just have a Monday off. It's a significant weekend for all Americans. And most importantly, this is a significant weekend for Americans who are Christians. Who are real Christians. Born again. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's significant because of two things. First of all, it's the Martin Luther King weekend. It's a weekend where we celebrate the tragically truncated life and death of Martin Luther King. A man who had a dream. And oh, did he have a dream. And how phenomenally could he articulate it. Just 39 years old when his life was taken. And even now, when I listened to that dream last yesterday on YouTube and read much of his writings this week, I'm amazed. I'm amazed how God worked in his life for a dream. A dream of equality. Equality with men and women, no matter what color of their skin. A dream that we can all be equal. He had a dream. A dream of a world where justice rolled like a mighty river and righteousness flowed like an ever-flowing stream. What a dream. It comes right out of the book of Amos. It's God's dream. A dream of equality for all who are made in His image. And isn't it interesting that this Martin Luther King weekend that we remember his life and ministry just two days away from a historic inauguration of our first African-American president. I'm excited. I'm excited to where we are as a country. i got to tell you, I was at a job partnership meeting recently with my brothers and sisters in Christ in Eatonville and sitting next to Pastor Brown, Pastor Thomas Brown, the pastor of Redeeming Light Church. And we were trying to get our, our schedules together. It's about three weeks ago. And he says, well, it's got to be in at least three weeks. I'm like, why do we have to wait that long? He goes, oh, I can't do anything before the inauguration. I'm going to go and I'm going to bring my wife and my family. I never thought I'd live to see the day. And I rejoiced with my brother. 
But not just is it a, a great weekend for Martin Luther King weekend celebration and for us to be mindful of a dream like that. It's also today, this, this weekend, it's Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's calling all Christians, the whole Christian community, to remember back to January 1973 for that this Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade to legalize abortion for really any reason. In America, roughly 1.2 million babies that are killed every year through abortion. Well, how do we weave those two together? Well, there's a biblical principle that really weds these two events together beautifully. And it's this. The Bible teaches us that humankind, no matter the color of their skin or their position in or outside of the womb, has great intrinsic value. Did you hear that? The Bible teaches that no matter the color of one's skin or their position in or outside the womb, they have value. Why? Because all life, all life is made in the image of God for humankind. Therefore, all life has infinite value. Because our God has infinite value and we reflect His image. All life, not some life. All life has intimate, infinite value. And we have to realize that God's image is always, always, always worth saving, worth preserving, worth cherishing, and worth celebrating. Let's turn to God's Word. So many places we can turn to looking at this great image that God has made in His image and how God is our Creator. We see through the Bible that God is not only our Creator, He's our Redeemer. He's rescued us. He's our friend. He's our Savior. He is with us. And no matter who you are and no matter where you come from this morning and no matter what your mirror tried to communicate to you as you were getting ready this morning, no matter what it said about your worth, no matter what it said about your gifts and your abilities, God loves you because He created you to be you, beautifully and wonderfully made. Young people, listen. God made you with the gifts and the abilities you have for His glory and purpose. And you have great worth. No matter what social circle you fall in, no matter what gifts and abilities you have or you do not have, there is good news together. Every single one sitting in these chairs today has unbelievable value. Because you are made like I am made. Wonderfully and fearfully in the image of an incredible God. Let's turn to His holy word this morning, looking at Psalm 139. I'm going to read the first 18 verses, reminding us what I often remind us all. Let us be mindful that this is God's holy word. It's useful for us. It'll teach us. It'll rebuke us. It'll build us up in Christ's likeness. And it's for us, God's family. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all of my ways. Isn't that humbling? And isn't that encouraging? And isn't that challenging? God knows every detail of your life and of mine. 
Verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your loving hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where should I go from your spirit? Or where should I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For listen, for you, God, formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. God says, you saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum. If I would count them, they were more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Let us pray. Father, to hear these words ring in our ears, these words of truth, these words of Yours, that remind us of who You are and Your character and Your greatness, and just that You are always with us, always present. Father, for Your knowledge that You know us thoroughly, completely, in and out, and You love us just the same. Father, the joy to know and to be reminded that it was You who wove us together in our mother's womb. It was You, and You are a master craftsman. So all that we are and all that we aren't are by Your design. And again, we acknowledge that we have great worth because we reflect Your image. But Father, we also acknowledge that from the womb we come out broken. And by nature, we are children of wrath. But Father, we thank You that You love Your image. We thank You that You love Your people. And we thank You that Your Son has come to rescue us and to make us beautiful again. But Father, for those of us who know You and for those of us who don't, we share in common the great privilege of Your image. And because of that, great worth. Father, we thank You for men and women who have gone before us that You gave a dream to. A dream of justice and righteousness reigning and rolling in this creation of Yours. And Father, may that dream be alive and well in all of our hearts because it wasn't Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. It was Your plan. Father, give us ears to hear. Hear Your words, not mine. Minds to comprehend your will, not mine. Hearts to embrace your agenda, not ours. And feet to walk in a manner worthy of being called your children. 
Father, we pray that you and you alone receive glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first thing we got to realize together as family that God's image is always worth saving. God's image is always worth saving. Genesis 9-6 says this, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? What is the value of man? Why does God care so much? Because of this. For God made man and woman in his own image. God made man in his own image. On August 28th, 1963, in the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his now famous I have a dream speech. And it's interesting as I reread that this week and even listened to it and was very, very thankful for technology that, that I could listen to that speech. And even long that it happened in 63. I was born in 65. I wasn't even alive yet. I hoped and prayed that if I was alive, I'd have been there. And I would have been supportive of that dream. But he, what he did is he started off, he pointed to an American document. He certainly looked to God's word, but he pointed to an American document. As a matter of fact, the Declaration of Independence to talk about all men's rights, no matter what the color of their skin was. And he said that document was a promise note. He said this, this note was a promise that all men, yes, black men, as well as white men, would be guaranteed the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He looked at our declaration and said, hey, because of this, I live in a country that's not giving me what it said it would and not giving the people of color. But there's a better document than the Declaration of Independence. It's a living and active document. It's God's word. And it promises the right to life for all. Why? Not because we're Americans. Not because we happen to be born here. A right because we are made in God's image. We can't miss this. Our worth comes from the reality that we reflect who God is. Our worth can never be wrapped up in our skin color. Our worth can never be wrapped up in our economic status, our nationality, our religious affiliations even. Our worth can't even be wrapped up in the viability of life in or outside the womb. Our worth is found in the God who created us. That's where we find it. And what is He worth? What is the creator and sustainer of all things worth? What is God Almighty worth? And what is that image worth that reflects who he is? Worth is found in God's image alone. Isn't it amazing that we find our worth in so much stuff that doesn't matter? Such trivial stuff. Even the cars we drive. I, I got to confess, uh, I've had times in my life with different cars, and, and a certain car you drive usually reflects attitude, you know? Uh, my first car out of college was a BMW. And a young 21-year-old felt like somehow he was worth more because of German engineering. Some friends of ours are building a new home. And 
they uh, don't have room in their driveway for one of their cars. It's probably more considered one of their toys. It's a uh, big, huge brown Bronco with tires that are about this big that they, some reason, sawed the back off so it looks like a truck. You know how much fun that thing is to drive? I, I took our kids in it uh, on Christmas Day, and I, I drove them over here on the property, and I was down there in the pit driving through the weeds. And one of my kids said, Dad, why are we driving through the weeds? I said, because we can. <laughs> I just feel like, a, I, I feel like I should be chewing tobacco when I'm in that car. I, 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 have, I, I don't like country music a bit. I, I really think it's nasty stuff. I, I want to listen to it in that car. There's something about that. And somehow we start looking at stuff as if that's supposed to tell us who we are and how we're supposed to act and who we're supposed to be and what our worth is all about. And isn't that quite honestly nonsense? I mean, how much of our life do we spend trying to find out our identity and our worth and what we do and what we own and what we know and who we're associated with? Shame on us when God has given us something so much more valuable, his love and his image. And may we always rejoice in that. May we always live our lives to protect and cherish that image. Because of that image, life is precious. His image truly is always worth saving. Now listen, if that's true, and it is, Christians must always be Born-again, true born-again Christians must always be pro-life. Because we're pro-God. We must always be, no matter the situation. It doesn't change reality. We cannot have truth be sometimes true. And God's image sometimes be valuable, depending on the circumstances. It's always true. And it's always valuable. God is always the giver of life. Life always reflects His image. Life is always precious. We must always choose life over choice. Always. And I know that this could be controversial to many, but really it shouldn't be. It's not my opinion. It's the Bible. I mean, it's God's Word, and this is so clear. The sanctity of life is so clear in Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation. But I also want to tell many of you, because many of you right now are sitting there with great pain because of past sins. And you're sitting there with a shame. And and listen, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. It's not. And some of you had made some really bad decisions. And some of you may even be right now facing a very difficult decision. Choose life. God will bless you and support you. And for those of you, do not for a minute, if you've been on the other side of this and you didn't understand the value of life and maybe even you took matters into your own hands and someone gave you bad advice, let me tell you something, you have not disqualified yourself from God's love and God's forgiveness and God's healing. You are a part of our family. Hold your head up high. The blood of Christ forgives and it heals. And the church can't lose that message. We should be the most loving. We should be the ones who embrace those who are broken and made bad mistakes. Is it not us? But we must choose life always. 
Not only that, but God's agenda must be our agenda. Jesus told his disciples, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom. Martin Luther King was one time asked, when will you be satisfied? When will this movement finally be satisfied? And I love his answer. Aren't you satisfied now? He said, no. No, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. It's got to be our agenda too. We will not be satisfied until the kingdom of God comes here more fully. I heard something really bizarre in the news this week. It said this, it said, survey finds that most Americans hope that Barack Obama will be successful. And people wonder why we're stupid, you know. <laughs> Most Americans hope that Barack Obama is successful as president. Who wouldn't? Let me ask you a question. What is success? What is success? Is it a better economy? Is it a safe and secure America? What is success? Interestingly, is it more choice for women to have more freedom to abort babies? Interestingly, in this time where this historic event where God is bringing to us an African-American as our leader who more pro-choice than pro-life. And I, 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 you know me. If you've been here, you know that I don't talk politics a lot. I really don't. But i got to tell you this. I couldn't vote for him because he's not pro-life. So much I respect about uh, views and, and issues. I just can't vote for someone who's not pro-life. And you think about the fact that maybe now different Supreme Court justices will be appointed and already there's a disproportionate amount of African-American babies aborted. It's my hope and prayer is that we see an African-American as our commander-in-chief and life will reign. What is success? What is success for you and me as Christians? What is success as Orangewood? Success is the advancement of the kingdom of God. Success is justice and righteousness reigning. Success is you and me doing what God has called us to do. God's agenda first. Our first priority. If we are His, that's our first priority. It's nothing else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. God's agenda is first. And when it is, Micah 6.8 reminds us that we will do justice. We will love kindness. And we will walk humbly with your God, with our God, because that is God's will for us. God's agenda has got to engage your heart 24-7. It's not just for this hour. It's for your life. It's for when you wake up tomorrow and go into your jobs, into your schools, into your neighborhoods. God's agenda must be first in all that you do. And all that you do, you're seeking to bring glory to His name. The way you live and love. The way you seek for justice and righteousness. The way you fill out your expense reports. The way you interact with whoever God brings into your path because they're image bearers of God. God's agenda must be first for this church and for our lives. Martin Luther King said in a sermon entitled, The Man Who Was a Fool. I love this. He says this, listen. Whatever affects one 
directly affects all indirectly. So true. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. And really what I got from this is to realize the church, the church cannot be all that God wants her to be until each one of us are living our lives as God is intended for us to live. Does that make sense? Was I too wordy? Did you understand what I was trying to say? For Orangewood to be all that she needs to be is for you to be all you should be before the Lord. Living for Him and His agenda. Living for Him and seeking first His kingdom. It's for me to do the same. We'll never be who God has called us to be. While some are slipping behind. We are called to carry one another, love one another, point uh, to Christ with one another. We're family. We can't let family slide. We will never be who we want to be, who God has us to be, until we're all on God's agenda. Until we all are convinced that this church is here to advance Christ's kingdom. It's not about our individual needs. We will not be who we are called to be until we love Him with more of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Until we love our neighbor needless of their economic condition, their religious situation, the color of their skin, that we love them as ourselves. Not only must God's agenda be our agenda, but God's tactics must be our tactics. Jesus, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, says this in Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may, so that you may be sons of your Father is in heaven. Did you hear that? He's telling us to love and to love those who hate and persecute us so we can be demonstrating that we are sons of God. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. We call that common grace. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't, do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, he points us to Christ and His standard. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Not only must His agenda be our agenda, but His tactics must be our tactics. I love what Martin Luther King said. He said this, the means must be consistent with the end. Did you hear that? Martin Luther King, because he was nonviolent, and because he pictured the end being peace, justice, righteousness, he said we must get there through peace, justice, and righteousness. The means must be consistent with the end. As Christians, we need, therefore, to lead with love. Why? Because our God leads leads with love and mercy. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that He doesn't lead with justice? uh, With with making sure He's going to right wrongs? He leads with love and mercy. And because God leads with love and mercy, and that's His tactics, that must be ours as well. We cannot love others when we're on our religious high horse. We cannot love others when we're looking down our nose at their sin and all that they're doing in brokenness. We can't do it from our high horse. Jesus didn't love us from His. He rode on a donkey. He came and He rubbed elbows with prostitutes, with tax collectors, with sinners like you and like me. And He called us friend. That was His tactic. His tactic would say, those of you who haven't sinned, go ahead and cast stones. 
My agenda, my tactic is to lead with love and mercy. To love a broken world in such an incredible way that they want to know more. Church, that's our call. To lead with love and mercy. That His tactics must be our tactics. We have to be realize that as a church, we can't love those we don't know. We can't love those we don't see. We can't love those that we don't rub shoulders with. Here's the good news. you got a preacher who says, go. Go out into a dark world. Go. Go to some places that God is calling you to go, but go shining in the light of Christ. Don't do as they do. But go. Go because why Jesus went is a friend of sinners. He didn't call us to be a holy huddle. We'll never change the world. We'll never change the world until we get on his agenda and get with his tactics. And the reality is, is we are the only ones in the whole world that are truly free at last. I thank God Almighty because I am free at last. See, you and I are commanded to love. We are given the ability to love. Why? Because we are so radically loved by God. Because we've been set free by His Son. Here's the reality. God demonstrated His own love for us. And while we were still sinners, He's going to lead with love. He's going to send His Son. His Son's going to come and do that which we have failed to do. But He is going to be righteous in His Father's sight. And His Son is going to give us that righteousness. And He's going to become Our sin on the cross. Unbelievable. God is going to pour out wrath on sin because He's a holy God. And not on us, but on His only begotten Son, the spotless Lamb of God, so that we can be right with Him. It's unbelievable. So that we can be loved. And now, because with that reality that we're new creatures in Christ, that we're so radically loved, we now are the only ones in all of God's creation who truly have the ability to love because we've been loved and we've been set free. And we now are the light of the world. And you know what's so beautiful about God's love is we can love without getting it returned. See, the world desperately needs love and it's basically a transaction between themselves and the world. If I love you, will you love me? If I accept you, will you accept me? And God says, listen, I've already loved you so radically. Now go and love. Go in love with my tactics because you have been loved. And the ultimate goal for every image bearer in this room and in this world is for us to worship God. God's worship must be our aim. Romans 12, 1 and 2 reminds us of that. And not only have we been created for, uh, by God, not only have we been created by God, we've been created for God. We have been created. Do you believe that? You are not only created by God, you were created for God. To know and love Him and to worship Him. That is why you and I were created. To bring Him glory. To make Him famous. So that others will know and love Him. That is why we are here, Orangewood. We were created to worship. And here's the beautiful thing. It's there. It's there when we worship the God who is and the God who is loving. It is there in worship of Him that we find ourselves. It is there where we find life. It is there where we find meaning. It's there where we realize who we are and our incredible worth as His child and worship. 
And he wants us to do it every day of our lives. April 4th, 1968, some 40 years ago, at the age of 39, Martin Luther King died pursuing his dream. Oh, how I wish he were alive to see Tuesday's inauguration. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus died securing His Father's plan. And our dream became a reality. Why? Because He lives today. He lives. He truly has conquered even death. He paid the price. He lives. And because Jesus lives, everything changes. Everything. We are new creatures in Christ with a new commission to go as the light of the world because He lives. We can dream. Do you know Him? Do you know your worth as a man or woman created in God's image? Do you know the joy of worshiping Jesus as King? Don't go another day without embracing that reality. For the rest of us, by God's grace, who know this reality, may we look at events that are happening in our world and say, "But let Thy kingdom come. Let Thy world be. Uh, let the uh, kingdom come. Let Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Change the world, but change me, so I could be a change agent. Change this church, so that we truly could be on His agenda with His tactics." All for His glory alone. Let us pray. Father, it's only because of the work of Your Son that we really can understand our value, that You would love Your image so much that You would allow Your Son to be crushed so that we could live. He would be bruised so that we would be healed. He would be killed so that we could really know You. He would be resurrected from the dead so that we could have life and victory in Christ alone. Father, may Your people cherish Your image in the womb and out of the womb. May Your people cherish Your agenda. Cherish, Jesus, Your tactics. All for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.